Hello and welcome to another weekly teaching from Vineyard Community Church, St. Louis. We are going to talk about the kingdom of God. We've been talking about that for a few weeks here, and I'm going to talk about how God has promised the kingdom of God, and we're going to look at some of the passages in the Bible that talk about that. Specifically, we will be looking at one in the book of Isaiah. So just to kind of get us caught up and get us context here, things that we've covered so far, and somebody go to the next slide for me, because I actually can't do it on the iPad somehow. Um, Yes, there we go. All right, so the kingdom of God, we have heard, is not a place. It's not a political kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom like the United Kingdom, right? That's a place. Kingdom of God is not a place. Thank you, Elijah. Um, but it's about God's rule and reign. So wherever God's rule and reign is, that is the kingdom of God. And now, even though Jesus is the one that talks about it the most, that term kingdom of God, um, it's not necessarily a New Testament concept. It existed long before Jesus was on the earth. So, ah, there we go. In fact, the kingdom of God, even though those terms may not be used, exists throughout the Bible. It starts on page 1 in Genesis 1 and goes all the way to the end of the book to the second to last paragraph of Revelation. And so we're going to see that today. And we're going to see that throughout the Bible, we see the story of God's kingdom being established we see God inviting us to join him in that kingdom. We see mankind, us, I'm just going to say us. Whenever I say we or us, I'm talking about Israel, but to all of us, because that's our story too. We see the story of how mankind rejects that invitation to be with God and under God's rule and authority. God corrects that, right? There, is, there are consequences to us rejecting that. But then God also comes in and works to restore our relationship and restore us toward moving toward the kingdom. So, yep, I pushed the button again a little too fast. Um, so the point today is that God has been showing us the kingdom of God since page one, since Genesis one. And he's shown it multiple ways and in multiple times throughout history because he wants us to know about it. He wants us to understand it. He wants to know that this is coming, right? So it's not just about what we have today, right? It's not just about what he promised we would have today but it's about what he's promising will come for us in the future. Am I pushing this, or is this just got a, like a mind of its own? What's happening here? This seems to happen to me. Okay, so one of the ways that God is teaching us, has been teaching us about the kingdom of God, is through the prophet Isaiah. He teaches us in many ways, but we're just going to look at the prophet Isaiah and one little passage that he talks about today to tell us about the kingdom of God. So, like I said, God starts talking about the kingdom of God on page 1, Genesis 1, when God creates the world. He creates the world. He creates all of creation. He creates people to be in the world, people who are made in his image, and people who are to rule over this world and take care of it, right? And in that creation, he was establishing his kingdom, right? His rule and reign. And he gave mankind one rule. What was the rule, kids? What's the one rule God gave Adam and Eve? Don't eat from the tree. Which one? The fruit tree. Good. Like that. Don't eat from the fruit tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Very good. Okay. So that was God's rule. One rule. So 
God creates this beautiful place, this garden in Eden. He puts Adam and Eve there, right? And so what was that life like? What was the kingdom that God created for them? What did it feel like to be there and to live there? For one thing, they had prosperity. They had provision. And when I say prosperity, I don't mean that means they had a lot of money. They had everything that they needed, right? They had plenty of food, plenty of water. There was this river that flowed through the middle. There was no sickness. There was no death right? They had the tree of life there. There was no death, mention of death. They had this space. This garden was theirs. This was their home. They had a place to belong, right? They also had that concept that David was talking about a couple weeks ago, that shalom, that complete and utter well-being, peace, right? They had peace. Not only did they not have enemies trying to invade, right? But they had, I don't know what I'm doing. Am I doing this? Elijah's just laughing. Are you doing this to me? Okay, no. <laughs> Is this a trick to try and catch me up? Okay, so they also had this shalom because we had perfect relationship with each other. Imagine what your relationships would be if sin did not exist. There's no anger, there's no fear, there's no jealousy, right? There's no shame. That's what they had. They had this perfect relationship with each other, with no enemies, They had purpose. And this really struck me when I was reading through this this time. You know, God gave them a job. Oh, we're going to try it again. Awesome. God gave Adam and Eve. Oh, you're taking it away from me. Apparently, I'm not not qualified to use the clicker anymore. All right. I get it. I get it. I I get this at home a lot with technology, too. I'm used to this. Um, Mom, don't push that button. You're not... Really? It's, I'm just going to reset the router. Mom, don't touch the router. Okay, yeah. It, this happened yesterday. Um, <laughs> I wish it was not true, but it is true. Um, so God gave Adam and Eve a job, right? He put them on the earth. He created the world, and he said, now I want you to rule over it, right? The same way that I'm going to rule over you is the way I want you to rule over this earth <clears throat> and all the things that I created, So they had a job. They were to cultivate this garden and care for it, right? I mean, I find it really important to point out that the Garden of Eden did not have hammocks. We tend to think work is a bad thing. Somehow our society has convinced us that we'll be happier if we don't have to work. But it's not true. We're designed to work. Adam and Eve had purpose. They weren't just there enjoying all the fruit and the water, and the lush greenery, and the cool animals, and all this, on a hammock, they were working. And I think that's important. And it was also pointed out to me, something new that I hadn't noticed, that they talk about the Garden of Eden being high on a mountain, which in the Old Testament means it was where heaven meets earth. Think about all the things in the Old Testament that happen on a mountain, where heaven meets earth. Pretty cool. Okay, now I have to learn how to do this. All right. Nope. Elijah, you're just so messing with me now. Come on, man. Wait. There's nothing there. (laughs) It's not loading the next slide. The next slide is blank. There it is. But it's not on my screen. Okay, that's all right. I can work with this. So, we all know Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They broke the one rule, right? And there was a consequence to that. So anytime we break these rules, there are consequences, right? There was a curse. And so 
The serpent who tricked Eve was cursed. He said, and God said to the serpent, you will crawl on your belly, you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is talking about Jesus defeating Satan, crushing his head. All right. Where's our next one? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Eve was also cursed. God said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. How does that work for a relationship? Right? <laughs> so clearly relationships took on a whole different turn there with that. Guys, can I have the clicker back? I mean, I'm all... Okay, there we go. Adam was also cursed. God said, cursed is the ground because of you. Right? Remember there was all these lovely fruit trees and stuff? But now, through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. So now he's got to work hard. And then God said, the man has become like us, knowing good and evil, because he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So he's like, can't stay in the garden, can't have access to the tree, can't live forever. So the Lord banished him from the garden of Eden. So when this happened, when this happened, um, the rule and the reign, right? The rule of God. We were under the rule of God. Adam and Eve were under the rule of God. Um, change. Are you coming to take the iPad away? Please do. All right. Okay. So the clicker's just not working. All right. Can I throw things instead? I'm just going to throw the. No. Okay. Okay, so I can adapt and overcome. I am adaptable. All right, so the rule and reign shifted. So when the serpent said to Eve, you know, God said you can't eat from that one tree or you'll die. He's like, you're not going to die. He's like, really, he just knows you'll be like him and you'll know things like God. So what he's saying to Eve was, you get to be your own God. You don't have to live under him, under his rules. You can make your own rules. You can be your own God right? And so she did that. But really what was happening, she wasn't really choosing, she didn't really become her own boss, did she, or her own God. She went from being under the rule of God to being under the rule of Satan. Because there really isn't a way for us to be our own gods, right? We're either for God or against him. God says that. You're either for me or against me. We're either under God or we're under Satan. I know this sounds really shocking, but um, when I was, I was raised in the Catholic Church, I, um, I didn't really have a relationship with God. In, uh, there was a point in college when my life was really, really difficult, really desperate, and I was going through some hard stuff. And at the time, I was working at this place, and my boss used to run psychic readings. And part of my job was people would come into the store and they'd come and pick up their cassette tape. Yes, this was in 1990. They would pick up their cassette tape of their reading. Part of my job was to give people their readings, right? And so 
I got really into this because I was desperate for answers. I was desperate to know things that I didn't know, right? Desperate to understand things and connect with something beyond myself. And I got really, really involved in this whole psychic reading stuff and um, the whole New Age movement, all that was going on at the time. And so I remember um, my roommate had become a Christian while I was gone studying abroad, and I come back, and she's like this Jesus freak. It was really awful. Um, <laughs> we were great friends before. And then I'm like, ah. Oh. Um, she just wouldn't stop talking about God. Um, so I'm sitting in accounting class, and I hear this voice. And even though this has never happened to me, I knew it was God, right? I didn't have it. No one had to tell me who it was. It was God. And God said, you need to choose who you're going to serve. He's like, you, you need to choose. Are you going to serve me or are you going to serve Satan? I'm like, serve Satan? Like, I wasn't going to some satanic church or anything. I wasn't, didn't, wasn't putting pentagrams on things. I wasn't doing anything like that. But God said, because right now you're serving Satan. Now, I didn't understand any of that theologically. Didn't have to understand it. I'm just like, well, I choose God. Like, thankfully, I wasn't an idiot at the time, right? And so, um, but it really was that stark, right? And the only way that I have confidence to say something that bold to you right now is through that experience that I had with God. Is God's clearly said that to me. Um, and I chose God. I remember exactly where I was, where I was sitting next to the window, what row I was in in class. Um, so... When Eve made the choice to not follow God, she unwittingly made the choice to put herself under the rule and reign of Satan. And that's what happened. And that was also the rule and reign of the world, right? Because who's the ruler of the world? Satan is the ruler of the, this king, the kingdom of the world, right? Jesus is the ruler, ruler. You're right. But the Bible talks about the kingdom of the world versus the kingdom of God. So the rule and reign shifted. And we lost that prosperity. We lost that access through the curse that we just read through, right? We lost access to the food. We lost that peace that we had. But really, the worst thing that happened was our relationship with God changed, right? Because after Adam and Eve ate from the tree, God came to look for them. And what did they do? They hid. God's like, where are you? And Adam's like, I hid from you because I was afraid. Because I, I, I ate from the tree. So Adam knew, right, he had broken the rule. So all of a sudden, our relationship with God that used to be easy is now difficult, and there's fear, and there's mistrust, and there's shame. Okay, next slide. So, so we're under the rule of people now, right? And I'm going to skip over a whole bunch of chapters, and we're going to jump all the way forward to the Exodus, Right? We're under the rule of people, which meant we, the Israelites, were under the rule of Pharaoh. How'd that work out? Not so good, right? So the Israelites were slaves, they were oppressed. But God's kingdom broke in, right? David talked about that a couple weeks ago with the parting of the Red Sea and all that, all that amazing stuff. And so what does it look like when God's kingdom breaks in? God defeats evil. He brings freedom, salvation, and then, next slide, God invites us to come under his rule and reign. So, one more click. Okay. One more. 
Okay, very good. So just ignore the bottom part, stick with the top part. Oh, go back. There we go. All right, awesome. So God invites Israel to live under his rule and reign. And you know what? I didn't, I've read this story before. I missed this part until I read through it again. God, God actually asks Moses, before he gives him the Ten Commandments, he's talking to Moses up on the mountain. He's like, hey, I've got these rules. I've got this new way of living with the people. Go down and ask the people if they're willing to do this. I did not know that. I did not remember this happening. So, so Moses actually goes down and he goes to the people. He's like, God's going to give us some rules. What do you say? And they say, with one voice, we will do everything the Lord has said. So he doesn't just give it to him and say, here, follow it. He asks them, he's like, do you want to do this? They're like, yes, we want to follow God, right? I mean, they've just been through this really amazing experience, right? God is great. So they get the Ten Commandments, they get these rules. Well, actually, Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. God is giving him this information, more information. It takes a little while. So they grow impatient. And they're like, you know what? This God thing isn't working out. We're going to have to make our own God. So they, they make a golden calf, right? You know how long that took? Forty days. Forty days from the time. I know, it's, it's, it's shocking. Forty days from the time that God asked them if they would follow, they would follow him, they, they can't wait 40 days, right? So it's literally, it's like five minutes. And they're like, yeah, we'll follow you, but oh, maybe not. We're going to make our own God. Out of, yeah. So fast forward, we've got some time, right? Some more things happen throughout the, the biblical story. Um, God provides some godly leaders for Israel, some prophets, some judges. But at one point, they say to God, we want an earthly king, like those other nations. Which, in this context now, now that you understand the implications of a godly king versus an earthly king, Eden versus being under Pharaoh, like, they're outright rejecting God. They're outright saying, you know, the way you're ruling over us, that's not really working for us. We think these kings, these earthly kings, we think they're going to do it better. We want one of those instead. To me, it feels like a kid divorcing their parents. Like, I don't really like the way you're parenting me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose a different, a different person to do this. Like, that's what they're saying here. And God tries to warn him through Samuel. He's like, you know, this isn't going to work out the way you think. And they're like, no, 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 this is what we want. This is going to be good. This is what we want. So, they get Saul. Not so great. But then, God does give them King David. And David's pretty amazing. And under King David and his son Solomon, at least the first part of Solomon's rule, they have the things they had in the garden. They had prosperity. They were in the land that God had promised them. They had everything they needed. And Solomon especially amassed a whole lot of wealth. They had peace. All the other kingdoms and, and nations around them were afraid of them, so nobody attacked them anymore. They had peace. And they had the presence of God. God even allowed Solomon to build a temple where his presence rested. So this, as David talked about a few weeks ago, this was kind of the closest thing to God's kingdom on earth existing. God's heavenly kingdom existing on earth. <clears throat> But, as you can imagine, it doesn't last, right? Because even Solomon can't sustain it. 
Even, you know, we go from one king to the next. Solomon can't sustain it. And toward the end of Solomon's reign, he's not doing so great. In fact, right after that, the nation splits in two. And they have a northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And they have all these kings. And you read through the kings and chronicles, and you'll see most of these kings did not follow God. Most of them rejected God. So, next slide. So the consequence of that, we've learned, is the exile. And they lost all those things. They lost the land that God had promised them. They had to leave Jerusalem. They had to leave this land that was so important to them. They lost their king that they wanted so badly. But the worst thing was that they lost the presence of God. They had to leave the temple, which was really important to them. Next slide. Jesus does reign high on all the earth. Thank you for that. Okay. So, um, through the exile, God sends prophets before, during, and after, to teach the people about what's going on. And so he warns them through Isaiah. So Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, it's the first book of the prophets after Psalms and Proverbs. Really great. If you've never read it, you should really do so with a study Bible to kind of explain some of the things at the bottom. So Isaiah talks a lot about judgment. He tells them, y'all need to get it together. Remember those rules? Remember that thing God said, I'll be your God, you be my people? There's, there's a way for us to relate. God's giving us some guidelines on how to make that happen. It's like, we're not following that. And if we don't get our act together, we're going to be sent out of Jerusalem. We're going to lose the land. And so clearly, that didn't make much of a difference, right? Because we all know they still went into exile. But Isaiah also promised it won't last forever. You won't be gone forever you will come back. And they did. They did get to return. They did get to return to Jerusalem. However, not everybody came back. Some of them stayed, right? Because they had been there like 70 years. We're gonna, we have established lives here. We don't need to go back, right? This is fine. We're, we're good. I'm good. Let's stay here. So not everybody went back. They went back to Jerusalem, but they didn't have their king. And the temple had been destroyed, right? During the exile, the temple had been destroyed. They rebuilt it but it's never the same. God's presence is never there. So this thing, this place that they loved, this place that meant so much to them, they went back and it just wasn't the same, right? Kind of like if, you, you know, if you've lived in different houses and sometimes people like to go back to their childhood home and sometimes you know, people will like knock on the door, hey, can I see my old room? You know, like If you did that, it wouldn't be the same, right? Because the people, the experiences, the things you loved about that place wouldn't be there anymore. And that's what happened here. The things that were so important about Jerusalem just weren't there anymore. So they went back, but it, it didn't fulfill. It, the kingdom was not restored. God's kingdom was not restored. So Isaiah says, no, no, you're right. This isn't it. God has more for you. He says, remember, David prom God promised us that there would be someone from the line of David always on the throne, and there will be again. God's servant, an heir of David, will come and reestablish his kingdom. And he talks about this a lot. In fact, a good chunk of Isaiah is talking about this anointed one, this anointed king who will come from the line of David. And the word for anointed one in Hebrew is Mashiach, which we translate as Messiah. So a lot of times we see this word Messiah and we think that's just another name for Jesus, but really it just meant anointed one. So Isaiah is promising them, no, 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 God's kingdom will come back. This wasn't it, right? But God's kingdom will come. And there will be a Messiah, this king who's going to usher in the kingdom. And so 
you know, all those Christmas passages when we hear, like, Handel's Messiah, right? For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, unto us a son is given, right? You all know that, right? Um, we could sing along, right? It's meant to be sung along. Um, that's from Isaiah. And plenty, plenty of other passages that point to not just the birth of Christ, but also the suffering of this anointed one and his death and that he lives again. There's so much in Isaiah that points to that. But it doesn't end there because that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is the third part that Isaiah promises, which is an altogether new heaven, new earth, or a new Jerusalem, this place that we loved so much, that meant so much to us. We're going to have a whole new one, right? That is where God's kingdom will finally and fully be realized. And that's what I want to talk about today. Next slide. So we're going to talk about this term, new heaven and new earth. If you look in your Bible, if you go to Isaiah 65, 17, that's the little subheading, new heaven and new earth. It's also referring to the new Jerusalem. This is when God's kingdom finally comes on earth as it is in heaven. What does that sound like? We all know that from the, um, the Lord's Prayer. This is the fulfillment of all of God's covenant promises. So all those things that were promised to Abraham and Moses and David and the new covenant, right? All those things that were promised, this is where they are fulfilled. We complete the work of the suffering servant. This is uh, one of the ways that Isaiah refers to Jesus as the suffering servant. And this is associated with Christ's second coming. Next slide. So Isaiah 65, 17 this is God speaking. He says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things, those very, very difficult experiences that you had, will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. You won't even be able to recall them. But I will be glad and rejoice forever. So this, this is not a temporary thing. This is eternal. Right? God's talking about a thing that will last forever. It doesn't have an end. I will be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. I will create Jerusalem, right? Not just the city, but all the things that that represents, to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. And never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. So this harkens back to the very beginning of the Bible when people lived a very long time. Trivia question. How long did Adam live? How many years? Who said it? What was it? You're close. Say it louder. 930? I think it was like 983, 938. It has a 9 and a 3 in it, that much I remember. And it was close to 1,000. I was hoping somebody else would know because I can't remember. But I looked it up this morning. Long time, right? A lot longer than us. So there used to be a time when people lived a lot longer than 100. The one who fails to reach 100 will be considered a curse. So people will live long again. All right, next slide. They will build houses and they will dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord. 
So these words in blue, you can kind of hearken back to when we were talking about the Garden of Eden, right? They had a place. They had food. They worked. They had a purpose, right? They enjoyed the work of their hands. They were blessed. And I love this in verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. You know, when my kids were babies, um, my mom and my mother-in-law took care of them. They kind of took turns. My mother-in-law, when she had the baby, that was all she did. And she never put that kid down. I'm pretty sure she went to the bathroom holding the kid. Like, seriously, Mike will attest to this. She never put that kid down. And I remember one time she would say, I'm on that kid like white on rice. And I believe her. Because there was one time when Anna was itty-bitty and I like, I don't know, I set her down and she cried. And my mother-in-law's like, what happened? I said, I put her down. She's like, that has never happened to me. <laughs> um, so this, like my mother-in-law anticipated anything that could possibly, they could possibly want and she gave it to them before they even asked. Right? This is the picture that I have. When I read that, I think of that. I think of how much she was just waiting to make sure they had everything they wanted or needed. Like, that's what I have. Before they call, I will answer. She did. You didn't have to cry. She was like, you want this? You want this? You want that? Right? While they're still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be like the serpent's food, and they will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So on the next slide, I'm going to talk, I'm going to read from the book of Revelation. And so when I became a Christian in 1990, there was all this talk about like the thing on Gorbachev's head, he's the mark of the beast, right? There was all this, remember that? Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we look back on that now, we're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> there was all this talk about the end times and what's, ha you know, all this stuff. And so like when I became a Christian and I knew nothing about the book of Revelation, I'm like, okay, everything there is crazy and it's making people crazy. So I'm never going to read this book again, <laughs> right? So I've not spent a whole lot of time in the book of Revelation, right? And I, I believe that may be true for some of you. It's a little, it's a little intense sometimes, um, but it is still the word of God, Right? So whether we understand it or whether we like it or not, it is still the word of God. But I think this passage, you will see, makes a little, a little bit of sense, a little easier to understand. So next slide. So this is from Revelation 21, toward the end of the book. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, right? Our relationship with Christ is often referred to as the bride and the bridegroom. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So God said to Abraham, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. Next slide. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal and on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Remember that? The tree of life in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to be near? bearing 12 crops of fruit, 
yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and no longer will there be any curse. There will be no more night. What was the first thing God created? The Lord said, let there be light. Good job. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light, and they will reign how long? Forever and ever. Next slide. So, we see this kingdom of God, this kingdom where we have everything we need, where we have that peace, that shalom, but most of all, we have the the presence of God, right? We see that in Eden. We see that Isaiah promised it. We see it kind of breaking in, right, in the Old Testament through the Exodus, through King David, and breaking in throughout history. And Isaiah promising that there's more, promising the, the Messiah, which we, we are on the other side of that promise, right? So we know, we can look back and see all these things that happened. But there's more, right? God's kingdom will come. God keeps his promises. You know, I know a lot of times we sing these songs, you're like, oh God, you are so great. And I remember there are times when I'm like, I don't know, things aren't going so well in my life right now. Maybe God dropped the ball. Maybe God's not, you know, listening to me. He's not hearing my prayers. God, answer, God fulfilling promises is different than giving you whatever you want. God keeping his promises is different than him answering all your prayers the way you want them answered, in the time that you want them answered. God does answer and fulfill all of his promises. He has, and he will continue to do that. This is why, while they're in the exile, these people are away from everything that was important to them. They're still able to sing psalms that say the Lord reigns. Even though this king is oppressing me, the Lord still reigns. God is still God. And I know that God is going to come through because he's done it before. Israel was very mindful of the Exodus and the amazing work that God did to rescue them. They were very mindful of King David. They knew what it felt like, right, to have that God's kingdom on earth. They knew it was possible. So they knew they could trust in this God, that he was going to do what he promised because he'd done it before. I think it's clear to say that it doesn't depend on us doing anything, right? How good were the Israelites in following the rules? Like seriously, 40 days, maybe less, you know. It was like 10 chapters in the right in, in Exodus. Um, God's going to do it regardless of whether or not we hold up our end of the bargain. Now, we can still partner with him in that, right? We're still invited to be part of that. It's still a choice of ours whether we want to be in it or not, right? But he is going to fulfill his promises. So no matter what.